edition of the Worcester Talking newspaper, recorded here at Colin Chance House on Thursday, July the 12th, 2018. I'm Evelyn Brock, editor for this team, and with me to read news articles are Paddy Fellows, Pam Holder, Barney Burnham, and our sound engineer is John Plush. Our thanks go to Worcester News for the material we'll read for you. The headlines for this week, beginning July the 6th, are Friday, July the 6th, Where's Our Money? Saturday, July the 7th, Glass Hotel for City Racecourse. Monday, July the 9th, Stand Tall Across the City. Tuesday, July the 10th, Firm could close over man's death. Wednesday, July the 11th, trio help after attack on PC. And Thursday, July the 12th, love not hate, mayor's message as EDL plans mosque protest. Now, I'll ask each of the team to greet you before they read you their headline articles. So, from me, my headline article is Where's Our Money? Former customers of a closed city gym claim they are still waiting for membership refunds six months after the business shut down. Dawid Kalarous, age 28, said he paid £200 in cash for a two-year membership at Prime Fitness in Westbury Street, Worcester. He told the Worcester News that he still had eight months left on his membership when the site, also known as City Gym, closed in January. Mr Kalarus of Ripon Road, Worcester, said, It makes me feel bad and a bit angry and upset. We're not upset about the money, it's nothing huge, it's just not fair. We were good customers. Mr Kalarus, originally from Poland, claims the gym offered him a cheaper membership of, if he paid in cash. He added, I was sure everything would be okay as I'd been training there for two years. Mr Kalarus said he does not want to take the case to court because he's unfamiliar with the UK justice system and afraid of losing more money. Mr Kalarus, who works for Amazon in Droitwich, said he was told that around 15 to 20 members were owed money by the gym. Another ex-member, who does not want to be named, said he is also waiting for a £120 refund. The man shared a picture with the Worcester News, which appears to show details relating to his 12-month membership. It shows that he was supposed to be a member at the gym until December this year. He said, I paid £150 in cash for the year and they closed down the gym after one month. I tried to get my money back from the owners. They said they are still waiting for a lawyer. It's not the right thing to do to an ex-member of the gym. It's not fair. 
The former member said he is also against launching a court case because he does not want to spend any more money. He showed Facebook messages to the news which show him and a person called Chris Robinson discussing refunds for his membership. Companies House lists a Christopher Robinson as a director of Prime Fitness Limited. A new gym, also called Prime Fitness, opened in Redditch after the closure of the Worcester site. According to records on Companies House, a Christopher Robinson resigned as a director of Prime Fitness Limited on April the 17th this year, but was then reappointed as a director the following day. Prime Fitness Limited's registered office address is in Oxford, according to Companies House. No one from Prime Fitness was available to comment when contacted by the news. Right, I'm Patty Fellows and this is my article about the Glass Hotel, which is a possibility for the city racecourse. There's a picture of a... uh, an artist's drawing. This image shows how Worcester Racecourse's grandstand could be transformed into an upmarket hotel overlooking the River Severn. The ambitious multi-million pound scheme for Pitchcroft is the vision of a consortium fronted by retired Worcester businessman Clive Parks. The plans, which are today revealed by the Worcester News are for the current grandstand to be demolished and the new one to be part of a giant, futuristic-looking glass building, including a four-star hotel that would feature 140 beds across four floors, dining areas on each floor for a total of 200 people, a balcony overlooking the river, and grandstand viewing from the finish line for racegoers, a conference centre seating up to 600 people, a car park in the centre of Pitchcroft, which could be used for hotel users and for businesses to potential new events at the racecourse, such as music festivals. Mr Parks, who's 65, who was previously chairman of county firm John Goodman and Sons and was a key figure in helping bring retros to the city, says that the consortium has already held initial talks with Arena Racing Company, or ARC, which manages the site and landowners Worcester City Council. Mr Parks from Himbleton says the group estimate would cost to be 75 to 100 million but was confident this would not be a stumbling block. Investors are out there for a project like this and will be guaranteed a good rate of return, he said. It's fully costed and we have hotel operator interested. If the scheme came to fruition, it will return a hotel to the racecourse site. The Grandstand Hotel and its accompanying Grandstand was demolished in the mid-1970s in a redevelopment scheme that brought a new Grandstand complex and a river sports centre. Mr Parks said the scheme could be part of a wider plan to reinvigorate the city, potentially linking it to a secondary 
proposed development of a food centre and bars underneath the railway arches and a future Worcester Green Skywalk across the River Severn, which was proposed by One Creative Environments Limited in 2015. Mr Parks said we're proposing a glass structure, including the grandstand and the private boxes, with a conference centre seating 500 to 600 people. Pitchcoft is an ideal site. It is next to the river, walking distance to the city, and this can be part of picking up the riverfront area. When you have a decent hotel, you get people staying in the city and spending money. It could be used for weddings and conferences. The idea is to bring the river into play again, tidying up the area and adding value to Worcester, which currently languishes behind all obvious rivals in the occupancy and spend. Worcester is unique and should be on all tourists' wish lists. We also see this as helping revive the high street. It will lead to more investment. It's aspirational. This is a dream to make the whole area better. ARC's Prestine declined to comment. And there's another couple of pictures of it. I'm Pam Holder. Headline, stand tall across the city. Giraffes unleashed. After months of anticipation, the Worcester Stand's tall giraffes have been released from captivity and are roaming around the city for everyone to see. Today sees the launch of the Giraffe Sculpture Art Trail with the eye-catching creatures in the city until Sunday, September the 16th. The project, which is raising funds for the St. Richard's Hospice Building 220 Expansion Appeal, has seen 30 giraffes standing 8 foot tall located around Worcester. They have been painted by artists from the county and beyond and sponsored by businesses in the city, including the Worcester News. Wild in Art the company behind trails, such as the Big Sleuth in Birmingham, have organised the giraffe extravaganza with St Richard's. John Borden, chairman of governors at St Richard's, said, We're tremendously excited to bring these fantastic giraffes to our city and can't wait to see everyone enjoying the trail this summer. We hope our event will not only inspire civic pride, but also give people a great excuse to get out and get active. Exploring the city while helping raise money for our Build 2020 appeal. A total of 57 individually designed and painted giraffe sculptures are on show through the city's streets and open spaces forming a trail approximately six miles in length. Alongside the 30 mega-giraffes, there are 26 smaller calf sculptures which have been decorated by schools and community groups and are on display in the city's Crowngate Shopping Centre. 
A rose gold calf is on display by the main entrance to Worcester Cathedral. Charlie Langhorne, a director of Wild in Art, said, Worcester Stands Tall celebrates the city's people and places, and together with St Richard's Hospice, we're proud to have helped bring businesses, artists, schools and communities together through the power of creativity. There are trial maps available from points around the city, including the Tourist Information Centre. An app is available from the Apple App Store and the Google Play Store to help guide people. The Worcester News is giving readers the chance to claim a mystery prize with the first person to send us a selfie of them with all 30 of the eight-foot giraffes, the winner. Post your selfies on Twitter with a Worcester Stands Tall. I'm Barney Burnham. Firm could close over man's death. A court heard that a business could close if it receives an expected fine of more than £200,000 for the death of an employee. Kevin Scott died following an incident in the yard of Tools Transport Limited based in Russia near Worcester on December 11, 2013. The company employs 110 people who, the court heard, could lose their jobs if a fine between 150000 or 250000 was imposed on the firm. After a trial, Tools Transport was found guilty by a jury and the sentencing hearing was heard at Worcester Crown Court. Prosecutor Bernard Thorogood told the court that the dad of two who died was a successful man who would help anybody and his sons were badly affected by his loss. Mr Thorogood said a human life is priceless. They, the family, feel some sense of relief as a consequence of the jury's verdict. Mr Thorogood argued that the firm had a high level of culpability and harm and that Mr Scott should never have been put in the position to be working as a banksman on the yard. There was an accident waiting to happen, Mr Thorogood said. Others were exposed to the risk for several years. Mr Thorogood, representing the health and safety executive which brought the case, argued the firm was healthy, solvent and had profits, so could absorb a fine. But defending, John Cooper challenged many of his points, saying in fact the court had heard from witnesses who said drivers assisting another driver was a rare thing on the Russia Trading Estate Yard and there were no previous convictions against a firm that had been in business for more than 40 years. Mr Cooper argued there was a low level of culpability and harm and told the judge that the business was in fact teetering on the edge and that they simply don't have the money to pay the fine. I am saying a fine would ruin the company and the livelihoods of 110 people's jobs and their families, Mr Cooper said. The £250,000 does not exist. Judge Robert Dukes said he was in a difficult position where he was hearing two versions of the company's finances and did not want to see the destruction of the business as a result of the fine. Apologising to the family, he said the case would have to be put back by at least two weeks when witnesses could be called so he could get a clearer picture. I'm afraid there's nothing more I can do about it, Mr Dukes added. And now from Wednesday of this week, Trio help after attack on PC. 
Brave passers-by intervened in a violent attack on a policeman by wrestling the attacker to the ground. Superintendent Damien Pettit, police commander for South Worcestershire, said the three people who stepped in had prevented the constable from being seriously injured. The injured officer was sent to West Malvern Road near Malvern after reports of a suspicious person in possession of a knife. The male punched the constable in the face and put him in a headlock after he tried to, to search him. A witness said, As I came down Beacon Road, I saw the police officer out of his car and the man was grabbing him and holding him against the police car. At that moment, a large lorry turned the corner and did an emergency stop in front of me. The driver jumped out of his cab and went running to the aid of the police officer. Simultaneously, two men in high-vis jackets came running from West Malvern Road and went to the assistance of the police officer. The witness, who didn't want to be named, said she drove away because her 82-year-old neighbour, who was in the car, felt scared. However, she phoned her husband, who then went to the scene and saw the passers-by restraining the attacker. She added, they held the assailant off the police officer and wrestled him to the ground. Superintendent Pettit said to the Worcester News, it is never nice to hear of an officer being assaulted in the line of duty to protect our communities and his welfare is of paramount importance to us as a force. We are grateful to the three members of the public that saw the struggle unfold and immediately stopped to help the officer. This selfless act that they each performed is greatly appreciated by myself and the force as a whole. We have written to the members of the public to thank them directly, but I would like to reiterate how grateful we are for their fast response to help the officer. Other police officers were on their way to help the constable, who was on his own, when the incident took place just after 9.04am on July the 4th. Backup police units arrived at the scene and the assailant was arrested. And here's the letter that Superintendent Pettit sent to the members of the public who intervened. I am writing to thank you for your assistance at an incident which occurred during the morning of Wednesday the 4th of July 2018 at West Malvern Road when police were called to reports of a person acting suspiciously and in possession of a knife. The PC attended the scene and was uh, and whilst explaining to the male that he was being detained for the purposes of a search, he became violent, punching the PC to the face and placing him in a headlock. As the PC was alone, he was unable to satisfactorily restrain him. My officers have informed me that you, together with other members of the public, were driving by the location but immediately stopped and ran to help the PC, and were it not for your selfless and speedy intervention, he could have been seriously injured. It is always pleasing for me to know that I can rely on people such as yourself for help in on occasions such as this, and your public-spirited actions were very much appreciated. Once again, thank you very much indeed for all you did at the time. Right. Now, my next headline is Love Not Hate. That's the Mayor's message as EDL plans the mosque protest. 
love not hate. That's the message uh, from the mayor of Worcester in response to a far-right group's plans to protest the city. The English Defence League, EDL, intends to demonstrate in the city centre in opposition plans for a three million pound mosque in Worcester. Worcester Muslim Welfare Association revealed its striking designs for the mosque in Stanley Road, Worcester, in May. West Mercia Police said it is carrying out work to make sure that the city is prepared for the EDL rally on Saturday, July the 21st. Councillor City Councillor Jabba Riaz, the Mayor of Worcester, said, I'm not in any rush to respond to the proposed EDL rally on the 21st. We are a calm, peaceful and tolerant city and will respond having considered all the facts, consulting other faith and city leaders. My theme is love, not hate this year. The EDL expressed opposition to the proposed mosque in an article published on its website. It states, the purpose of a mosque is to spread the religion and the power of Islam. The Islamic ideology is in direct competition to other belief systems and it hopes one day to crush them violently if need be, and put those church leaders out of a job and convert their churches into mosques. There cannot be any harmony in the long term with such a belief system. They seek converts, and when they get enough followers, they will seek political power. Superintendent Damien Pettit, the police commander for South Worcestershire, said officers were aware of a social media post advertising the demonstration. He added, We are in talks with them, that is the EDL, to understand their intentions and we'll be working with a range of partnership agencies to make sure we put a proportionate and appropriate response in place. A spokesman from Unite Against Fascism, UAF, said it appeared the protest had been organised in partnership with the Democratic Football Lads Alliance. UAF said it would organise a counter-protest if the march went ahead. Worcester Muslim Welfare Association plans to relocate its mosque from Tallow Hill to Stanley Road as part of the planned development. The current mosque only has enough prayer space for 500 people, whereas the new building will be able to take up to 1,300 worshippers. It will be built on top of the old Stanley Road School car park. The association also hopes to construct apartments and a new sports centre at the site. A planning application for the project has not yet been submitted. The EDL protest will take place in Worcester City Centre at 1.30pm on July the 21st, according to the group's website. My next headline is Worries Over New Incinerator Plan. 
A disused incinerator could be brought back to life as a plant to dispose of clinical waste. The incinerator at Hangman's Lane, Hanley Swan, was built in the early 1970s to burn household waste, but closed down in 1995 because it would have cost too much to upgrade to comply with more rigorous pollution rules. Since then, it has remained disused and the plant has become derelict. Now, London-based Modern Waste Solutions Limited has applied to Morven Hills District Council to bring the plant back into use. The company says it will take hard-to-recycle clinical waste from sources such as NHS organisations, such as acute hospitals and GP surgeries, the private healthcare sector, nursing homes, dentists, pharmacies, veterinary clinics, pharmaceutical companies and tattoo parlours that would otherwise be likely to go to landfill. It is expected that much of the waste will come from within a 50-mile radius of the plant, broadly speaking, Worcestershire and the surrounding counties. We will be renovating much of the existing building, so externally there will be only limited alterations. The main difference people will notice is the reduced height of the chimneys, which will come down from 24 metres to 15 metres. Inside, we will be installing modern UK-manufactured state-of-the-art equipment that meets all current legislation with regards to emissions. The company says that between three to five lorries a day will visit the plant and deliveries will take place during normal working hours, Monday to Friday and on Saturday mornings. The plant is expected to, cre to create at least 13 jobs. Sue Adeney of Hanley Castle Parish Council said, People here are concerned because they remember when it was an incinerator before and they are worried about emissions and so on. I think it would be good if the applicants came to us and explained exactly what they plan to do. New rail station is taking shape. Work on the new Worcestershire Parkway railway station is continuing, with new pictures giving a better idea of how the site will look when open. The main steel structure of the station has already been built, as well as a footbridge across the Birmingham to Gloucester line. The platforms will be lifted into place towards the end of the year. A better indication of when construction will end was given, but there's no definitive answer on when trains will be calling at Worcestershire Parkway. Councillor Ken Pollock, County Council Cabinet Member for Economy and Infrastructure, reiterated that building at the site should be finished in early 2019. But it may be months after builders leave that trains pull into the station. Rail users can expect to see Worcestershire Parkway appear on the updated May timetables next year, but that doesn't mean trains will be calling at the station. 
Rail industry forecasts expect the number of passengers on trains in the county will rise by 97% in the next 25 years. And the county council expects Worcestershire Parkway to be a focal point for improved railway travel across the county and will pave the way for quicker, more frequent services to London. The station will be on two railway lines, one which travels to London and one which links Birmingham and Bristol. Worcestershire Parkway will serve these routes as well as stations in between. Councillor Pollock said it's great to see the progress on this much-needed station which will help to transform rail travel across the county. Along with the Kidderminster station redevelopment and Worcestershire Parkway completing next year, rail travel to and from the county will soon be easier than it's been for the last 40 years. Also on the site will be 500 parking spaces, which the council hopes will encourage drivers to ditch their cars and use the train. Charges on the car park are expected to be competitive. Despite tonnes of rubble moving across the site, builders have paid particular attention to wildlife. Trees near the railway line, which act as a sonic highway for bats, have been kept, and a nature area built within the station will encourage native species to stay. Now a story headlined, Tricked Out of His Life Savings. An elderly man has handed over £10,000 of his life savings to fraudsters posing as police after yet another courier fraud in Worcester. The fraud is the second of its type reported in Worcester in the last few days as West Mercia police continue to investigate the offences. An initial call is received by the victim from someone posing as a police officer, warning them that their account is at risk from thieves and asking them to withdraw their cash from the bank. A courier who claims to be responsible for transferring the money to a safe account later arrives at the victim's door to collect the cash. We reported how a woman aged in her 80s and living alone in St John's in Worcester received a telephone call from a man purporting to be a police officer from Hammersmith. He told her that her money was not safe in her bank account and offered to collect it for her and put it into a safe account on her behalf. The telephone call was received at around 2pm on Friday, June the 29th. The woman withdrew £5,500 from her bank and later that day a courier arrived at her door and she handed over the cash in an envelope. This time the victim was an 80-year-old man from the Arboretum in Worcester who received a call on Monday lunchtime from someone pretending to be from Greater Manchester Police. Detective Inspector Dave Knight said the caller said that someone had fraudulently taken £10 from the victim's account and that the victim needed to withdraw all his money or the thief would be able to take it all. He withdrew £10,000 and was then directed to hand it to a courier for safekeeping. He handed over the money to a courier described as young, Asian, wearing a black top with a pattern on the front and a black baseball cap. D.I. Knight had said that the police officers would not request money and have warned people to be on their guard and be aware of the tactics the fraudsters are using. 
The courier in the previous case was also described as an Asian male. The woman described him as being in his early 20s, very thin and wearing casual clothing and said he claimed he was called Alex. Anyone with information is asked to call West Mercia Police on 101. Those with information about the earlier courier fraud can quote incident reference 975S290618, while those with information about the second fraud can quote incident reference 733S020718. Alternatively, information can be given to Crime Stoppers anonymously by calling 0800-555-1. Now, here's another hard-to-believe piece. Rugby player bit off section of ear is the headline. A rugby player bit off most of a man's ear during a pre-arranged fight outside a Malvern nightclub. The disfiguring attack by John Friths outside Pryor's Croft nightclub in Malvern was described as devastating by the judge who jailed him at Worcester Crown Court on Thursday. The 20-year-old had denied Section 18, which is wounding with intent, but admitted Section 20, when that's wounding on a reckless basis followed by attack on James Bannister, who lost two-thirds of his ear, leaving him permanently disfigured despite ongoing reconstructive surgery. Michael Hall, prosecuting, said that the words were exchanged between the two men in the club's smoking area on June the 2nd last year. Both men left the club, heading 30 metres down the road towards a car park to have a fight. Mr Hall said a punch was thrown which did not connect and the two men entered an embrace, the point of which Mr Bannister felt the pain in his ear. Mr Hall put his hand to his ear said he was able to feel the blood. Friths of Duke of Edinburgh Way Malvern was arrested at the scene and Mr Bannister was taken to Worcester Royal Hospital where he received eight stitches to his ear. In interview, Frith said he thought he had left the club to talk and claimed he had been punched on the back of the head by Mr Bannister before the two grappled. Asked if he had bitten Mr Bannister, Frith said no. Frith was asked how he thought Mr Bannister had sustained the injury to which he replied. I can't remember, but if anything did happen, it was self-defence. However, first pleaded guilty on the day of the trial, which Mr Hall said showed he had abandoned his original account and accepted his guilt. A surgeon described how the bite left Mr Bannister's missing two-thirds of his right ear. The ear has since been reconstructed using grafts of cartilage from his ribs and skin grafts from his neck in two operations, works that have so far cost Mr Bannister's parents £7,000. 
However, Mr. Bannister faces the prospect of further operations, the court heard. Mr. Bannister had to take several weeks off work and the surgery has left a permanent scar on his neck from where the skin graft was taken. Since the attack, he has moved away from Malvern area because the incident had remained a topic of conversation in the town. Niall Skinner, for Friths, said ordinarily he's very well-mannered, useful and successful member of the community. Mr Friths himself is disgusted with what he did. He described how Friths played rugby for the Malvern Rugby First 15. His parents were at court to support him. Mr Skinner said, I don't think this will be repeated. Judge Nicholas Cartwright accepted that Mr Bannister was not a blameless victim who was the subject of completely unprovoked attack. He added, people who live and socialise in Morwen should not be exposed to grown men squaring up to fight and then doing so. The injury you inflicted on James Bannister was devastating. You used your teeth to bite someone's ear, which amounts to extreme violence. Judge Cartwright sentenced him to 16 months in a young offender institution. No orders made for compensation or costs. The judge telling Friths his losses are well beyond your ability to play. Praise for CPR heroes. A bus stop crash near Hallow Primary School could have been horrific said one of the first people on the scene. An elderly male driver suffered a medical episode, according to police, while approaching a junction before his wife was able to steer the car into a hedge. Sue Carroll was in her daughter's car driving up the A443 near Mosley Road Junction when she saw the silver Mitsubishi Lancer shoot across the road seconds away from colliding with them. Mrs Carroll, 73, said, As it hit the hedge, smoke shot out about the bonnet. My instinct was for them to get out. My daughter pulled in at the bus shelter. The lady couldn't get out. The passenger door was wedged right up against the hedge. Two men in a van pulled up and helped open the passenger door and free her, while a woman, aided by another man, began to perform CPR on the driver, said Mrs Carroll. She said, despite previous claims by witnesses following the crash on Monday, nobody was at the bus stop as the car hit the hedge just feet away. If there had been more cars on the road, or schoolchildren, or anyone at the bus stop, it could have been horrific, she said. Mrs Carroll from Leamington Spa is a trained first aider, but cannot currently perform CPR for medical reasons. The man is believed to have suffered a cardiac arrest. Instead, she took his wife into the bus shelter and comforted her while others tended to her husband. It was wonderful what she was able to do, continued Mrs Carroll. To have the presence of mind when your husband has suffered a medical emergency, to take the wheel, 
they were close to hitting the wall. She said his foot was stuck on the accelerator. Mrs Carroll went on to praise the man and woman who performed CPR, with the latter having since identified herself as Julie Wall. She worked really hard to keep him alive. He had a very faint pulse. She said after the land ambulance and other emergency personnel had arrived, the air ambulance was unable to land in the field behind the bus stop. A spokesman for West Midlands Ambulance Service said the patient was in a serious condition following the crash. Ms Wall told the Worcester News she is hoping to make contact with his wife to find out how he is. Gin Festival off due to firms' collapse. A gin festival which was set to take place in the city later this month has been cancelled after the organisers went into administration. And there's bad news for those who've already purchased a ticket, as administrators have said there will be no refunds for tickets already bought for the Worcester Racecourse event. Earlier this year, the Worcester News reported on the two-day festival, which was set to take place on July the 20th and 21st and feature three tasting sessions. Organisers revealed the Pitchcroft site would be separated into different zones, featuring bars, a brand room and a creative cocktail bar. In their promotional material, organisers said guests are gifted their very own Copa glass on arrival with a funky pocket-sized brochure to guide them through their gin festival journey. From small craft distilleries using locally foraged botanicals right through to exotic examples of contemporary gins in fantastic flavours. There's something for every palate. But administrators from Begbie's Trainer have announced that ginfestival.com, the Yorkshire firm behind the festival, is now in administration after a buyer for the group was not found. Ginfestivalnot.com, which was established in 2013, encountered financial difficulties after it invested heavily in expanding its online presence and its entire programme of 20 festivals taking place in the coming months has been cancelled with all 27 members of staff made redundant. The advice to those who bought a ticket, which organisers say cost from £12, is to check with their credit or debit card provisor as to whether they are covered for the loss under the chargeback system. Julian Pitts of Begbie's Trainer said it's a huge shame that ginfestival.com has been placed in administration. The loss of jobs is always extremely disappointing, and in this case approximately 20,000 tickets have also been sold for forthcoming events which will not be reimbursed as part of the administration process. Anyone who has purchased tickets for any of the events organised by ginfestival.com would be best advised to check with their credit or debit card provider. Our aim was, of course, to find a purchaser for the business as a going concern in order to safeguard the jobs. But unfortunately, despite our efforts, this did not prove possible. We are now in the process of realising what assets we can in order to achieve the best possible returns for creditors. Did you purchase a ticket for this event? Contact the Worcester News Desk by calling 01905 742284 or email sgr at worcesternews.co.uk. And proud to be part of Amazing NHS. And we have a picture here of Newtown Hospital in July 1977 and an inset picture of a lady called Doris Kershaw. 
The NHS is 70 and staff at Worcestershire Acute Hospital's NHS Trust have been reflecting on its history. Among them is Doris Kershaw, 92, a volunteer with the Friends of Worcestershire Royal Hospital. She's worked with the hospital since 1966 when her neighbour asked her to join the Friends of Worcester Royal Infirmary as a buffet helper. A few years later, she became chairman. She said, During the days of the Castle Street Hospital, the Friends had 90 members. This wonderful band of helpers braved floods and snow blizzards to serve refreshments to staff and patients. Hot and cold drinks were sold together with chocolate bars and sticky buns from Clapton's Bakery. When the Royal opened, the buffet and its volunteers were no longer required. The end of an era. Mrs Kershaw said her proudest moment at the Trust was being invited to the Royal Garden Party at Buckingham Palace and receiving the Sapphire Award for Outstanding Voluntary Work for Patients in 1995, presented by the actor Richard Wilson. She said, the friends have donated thousands of pounds to buy equipment that not only makes patients and visitors' time in hospital more comfortable, but more importantly, helps save lives. I'm proud to be a part of this organisation. Little did I know that 52 years on from serving that first cup of tea in Castle Street, I'd still be helping such a worthy cause. Dr David Jenkins, a diabetes consultant at Worcestershire Royal Hospital, said, I had an ambition to study medicine from an early age, and medical training in the UK and the NHS are inextricably bound together. Everyone knows the NHS has got progressively busier. We now check much more carefully to see if we are doing things properly and are much better at trying to make healthcare safer. He said he was proud to be part of the NHS, adding, I continue to be amazed by the skills and goodwill of my numerous colleagues from various disciplines as they try to achieve the best possible outcomes for our patients. I find this genuinely inspirational and am proud to work with them. Now for some sports articles and Barney is going to begin with a name that everybody will know here in Worcester. I hope they do. If they don't, they should be ashamed of themselves. Freedom of City plan for Dolly. Calls have been made for a Worcester cricket legend to be given the freedom of the city. The Mayor of Worcester, Councillor Jabba Riath, will propose the award for Basil D'Oliveira, who died in 2011, the highest that Worcester City Council can bestow at a City Council meeting on July 17th. The call has been made 50 years on from the so-called Dolivera affair, which prompted a sporting boycott of apartheid South Africa. Councillor Riaz said Basil Dolivera is a Worcestershire cricket legend and also a pivotal figure in the story of the struggle against apartheid. Millions of people around the world owe him a debt of gratitude, and it will be a genuine honour to propose the motion that he be awarded the freedom of the city of Worcester. Basil D'Oliveira was of Indian-Portuguese descent and was born into a Catholic family in South Africa in 1931. He played in South Africa's national non-white team before emigrating to England in 1960. He joined Worcestershire County Cricket Club in 1964 and was first selected for the England team in 1966. In 1968, the England team was due to play in a tour of South Africa. D'Oliveira was initially not selected because of South Africa's apartheid rules. However, there was national outrage in the British press and D'Oliveira was then called up into the England squad. South Africa responded by cancelling the tour. 
The Dolivera affair was a watershed in the sporting boycott of apartheid South Africa. It led to a dramatic turn in international opinion against the South African regime and is credited as being a landmark on the road to the eventual fall of apartheid in the early 1990s. Worcester City Council will hold the meeting in the city's Guildhall at 7pm on Tuesday, July the 17th. Councillor Riaz, who has pursued the idea of the posthumous award with Councillor Andy Roberts, will call on his fellow councillors to award the freedom in recognition of the significance of the Dolivera affair in turning international opinion against the apartheid regime in South Africa, leading to significant changes in South African sport and society. At least two-thirds of the council's members will need to support the motion for the freedom of the city to be awarded. If the motion is passed, a freedom certificate will be presented to the Dolivera family at a civic reception in September, and his name will be inscribed on the Honorary Freeman panel in the Guildhall. And now a story about Worcester Warriors. Headed, we're off to sunny Spain. Warriors fly to Valencia for tough training camp. Worcester Warriors players are set to swap sweltering six ways for scorching Spain as preparations hot up for the new Premiership season. Director of Rugby Alan Solomons and his troops will jet off to Valencia on Sunday for a gruelling week-long training camp. Warriors squad have endured searing heat since beginning pre-season three weeks ago, but Solomons has refused to go easy on his players. And he believes a training block in Spain, where they will face temperatures of more than 30 degrees every day, will do them the power of good. Can't say I envy them. I am very happy with the progress we've made, Solomons said. We started slowly and rightly so, but we are doing really well at the moment and are looking forward to going to our camp in Spain on Sunday. I think that will be very important. We have got some new players and new staff, so I just think that it's ideal for us to have a good, hard camp. I said last season that we were going to do that after having five weeks off and I said it would be tough but it will be enjoyable as well. Solomon said the strength and conditioning work had steadily ramped up as they looked to hit the ground running next term. Warriors also visit Italy next month for their friendly against Benetton on Friday, August the 10th. Sorry, I was trying to avoid the clothes shop. I thought it was different. Typical woman. Sorry. Okay. Before hosting championship side Hartbury on Saturday, August the 18th. The players all received off-season programmes, obviously not the guys that were rehabbing, but all the other players, and they have been pretty good, Solomons continued. I am really pleased about the effort that has been put in. The conditions are pretty warm, but everyone is giving absolutely everything. You have got one shot at your conditioning and that's usually the opening six weeks of your pre-season. After that, you are pretty much into playing. So the first four weeks will be focused heavily on conditioning, but obviously the rugby balls are out and we are doing rugby work. 
When we return after the camp, we will start changing that balance a bit more towards the rugby and then we will prepare for our friendlies. Solomons also felt the trip to Spain would be a great way for their new signings and backroom staff to get to know each other, having added head coach Rory Duncan and attack and backs coach Neil Dirk this summer. I'm not an expert on Spain as I have only been to Madrid, Malaga and Seville, but we will be near Valencia, Solomons said. It's a nice place. Next Wednesday will be an opportunity for bonding and we will do team stuff on Tuesday afternoon. We leave late on Friday, which is good as we can get another full day in. Right now, my piece is about speed skating <clears throat> and it's headed Murray is skating to instant success. A university lecturer from Worcester is taking inline speed skating by storm as she bagged a series of titles at the British Championships in Birmingham. Pamela Murray won gold in the 1,000 metre, 3,000 and 5,000 metres points races and clinched silver in the 500 metre Dobbin sprint. Her success was made all the more remarkable given that it was only Murray's second competitive events since returning after two years out of sport. It's been great to come back and it's great to get a track title, said Murray, who is a senior lecturer in leadership within the University of Worcester's Business School. I did try really hard and every step counted. In the first race, the 500 metres, I had a quick start but I dithered. If you hold back for a second, they're gone. After that, I have thought that I have made all this effort to get here and just go for it. The championships were held on 200-metre hard surface track and attracted club skaters from all over the country. Murray, who's 51, has been in training intensively for the past two months using the cycling track at Stourport for practice. In recent weeks, I've been getting used to moving around the track again, says Pamela, who's a member of Birmingham Wheels Club. The mother of one has enjoyed previous success, winning at the British Championships in 2007, 2008, 2009 and 2015. She also clinched the British Marathon title on several occasions. She's been placed ninth in the marathon event at the European Championships and has been manager of the British women's team. The Battenhall skater has competed in all three disciplines in speed skating, short track, long track and inline. Competitors in each tend to use both ice time and land training so there's a lot of technical crossover. Inline is the indoor and outdoor event comprising races such as points, elimination, relays, road, sprint and endurance. Short track and long track are ice disciplines. The inline speed marathon is Murray's favourite event and she's now hoping to go on to compete in the European Championships next year. Qualification opportunities take place in late summer and early autumn. Among those including the British 
Uh, sorry, in the Berlin Berlin Line ski, speed skating marathon and the British Marathon Championships at the Queen Elizabeth Olympic Velo Park in London. And there's a picture of her with her titles. My article is about cricket. Worcestershire County Cricket Club. Alexa is enjoying life after county. Former Worcestershire batsman Alexei Cavesi believes there are sides in minor counties cricket that are capable of giving their first-class counterparts a run for their money. The ex-Netherlands international spent 10 years at Worcestershire before being released last summer. Having given up on the first-class game, the 28-year-old is devoting himself to developing a varied portfolio of work which includes playing minor counties cricket for Shropshire, turning out for Hales-Owen in the Birmingham League, coaching for Solihull-based complete cricket and mentoring children who have been taken out of school for behavioural reasons. This is Cavese's first taste of minor counties cricket and he is impressed with what he has seen in the opening two months of the season. I'm really enjoying myself, he said. The people at Shropshire have made the transition from county cricket to minor counties cricket very easy for me. They have taken me in with open arms and I can't speak highly enough of them. The standard of cricket is very good. We've played against a couple of teams who I generally reckon that on a good day could give a first-class county a run for their money. Without being biased, if we were at full strength and we had all our players available, Shropshire could be like that. You look at Berkshire, who did the double last season. We played a couple of T20 matches against them and they were a strong team. The same with Staffordshire. If they had all their players available and they were at full strength, I reckon they could challenge a few counties. There would be some good match-ups. Although Shropshire have recruited Cavesi mainly for his batting and handy off-spin, they're also keen to utilise the experience he gained during his time with Worcestershire. I've been taken on as a player, but they've also asked me to do as much as I can in terms of talking to the younger lads and helping the captain with any ideas that I have, Cavesi said. It's something that I have really enjoyed. Shropshire captain Steve Leach is known to Cavesi as he had a brief period on Worcestershire's books and is the younger brother of the county's captain, Joe. Players like Steve and Will Parton have played quite a lot of minor counties cricket, but they've asked me to be another set of eyes, Cavesi added. If I see anything to come to them and help the younger lads. And now we're going to hear some of the published letters from Worcester News for this last week. I'll ask Barney to start off with the two or three that he's chosen. Thank you. We have the choice to help. Sir, read the story about a group of veterans whose trip to the D-Day battlefield sites has been disrupted by an arson attack on their minibus. 
Our county signed the military covenant to make sure that we supported those who serve in or are veterans of the armed forces. The signatures on this covenant include the Lord Lieutenant, the Chairman of the County, Districts and City Councils and Business Leaders. The veterans are mostly from our county regiment, whom we all recently applauded on Armed Forces Day. They have asked for neither public money nor charity money. They're paying themselves. Of course, if you go to those D-Day sites, you'll see row upon row of boys' headstones. Those boys didn't have a choice then, but we do now. Come on, Worcestershire, get cracking and donate about £500 for this trip. That's from Lieutenant Colonel HGR Jerry Taggart, Royal Engineers, retired. President, Royal Engineers Association, Malvern Branch. And from Royston Shepherd in Defford, we hear Junction is now a fiasco. Sir, may I add my thoughts to the debate about the fiasco at this now difficult problem, the Pershaw Station Road, Wire Piddle Road Junction. Persimmon Homes were misguidedly granted planning permission by Witchhaven to create a road junction with a new housing estate opposite the Wire Piddle turnoff from Station Road. In doing so, they created a nightmare situation for Worcester County Highways, always assuming, of course, that highways weren't consulted at the planning stage at this now infamous junction. Why on earth did they not grant permission conditional upon the junction placed further along Station Road? The exponential development in that area of Pershaw surely demanded joined-up thinking. There will be even more traffic buzzing around when the estates currently under construction in that area are occupied. Either or both. Witchhaven and Worcestershire County Highways Department are culpable, in my view. J'accuse. <laughs> I bet he felt better when he got that off his chest. Yes, yes, I'm sure he must do. Well, this letter is to do with the um, fires breaking out in various places, but particularly this one about the fires on the Malvern Hills. Gary Kibblewhite writes, Sir, in my mind, there is no difference between a deliberate act of arson and the people that are responsible for the fire on the Malvern Hills. How irresponsible can people get? This fire will cost Hereford and Worcester Fire Brigade tens of thousands. And who's going to pay for it in the long run? We are. It was only last week that I read that a fire authority had warned people not to use portable barbecues in your home. Yet someone has used a barbecue in their flat, which resulted in a fire, thankfully without the loss of lives. If you're going to use a portable barbecue, then please don't place it in direct contact with the ground. Place it on bricks, even then saturate the ground underneath it. When in contact with the ground, the heat transfers into the ground as on the hills. It will be a combustible peat-based soil, which will, be very, which will very slowly smoulder, possibly for hours, before a fire breaks out. If you do have to use one, then please, when finished, you should turn the soil over with a fork and saturate again before leaving the site. Or better still, don't use one at all. And then three little tiny letters, which are more or less um, to do with each other. Mrs C. Bayliss writes, What about guide dogs? Sir, would the complaining coffee lover in the letter Anger Over Café's New Dog Policy on July the 3rd also refuse to visit a café where a guide dog is present? A well-behaved dog who can sit quietly and unobtrusively in a designated area is not likely to be a health risk. 
And Anne Davis writes, I was amused by the overreaction to dogs in coffee shops when the habits of some people include urinating and vomiting in public and discarding used nappies in car parks. I prefer to share my cafe space with someone's pet dog. And the final little letter, I think, is related to the whole lot. It's from Linda Clark. Oh, do stop moaning. Sir, do your often disgruntled readers ever stop complaining? Smokers, drinkers, dogs, litter, roadworks, etc., etc. Why not try practising the qualities of acceptance and tolerance as demonstrated by the gem we have currently serving as our mayor? This is the view of uh, New Humphreys of Worcester. So, I was interested and, of course, saddened to read of an accident at the Bilford Road Recycling Centre last week. I hope that the police made a record of this incident because they just didn't want to know of another incident which was reported to them a couple of weeks previously when a driver who had been held up most frustratingly by an extensive delay at the recycling centre, crashed into a stationary car parked a couple of a hundred yards along the Belford Road towards Droitwich Road. One car was a complete write-off and the other one probably was also. The Worcestershire County Council spokesman's comment on last week's incident referring to high volume of traffic at peak times was, frankly, pathetic. What I would have liked to hear him or her say, that section of Bilford Road is known to be hazardous and at peak times the word bedlam is not inappropriate. When our opinion was sought on the question of suitability to build a football stadium in the vicinity, we approved the proposal. Perhaps we were mistaken. Now, the next one is headed, Our Tents Allowed Here, and that's from C.D. Lee of Worcester. Sir, at first there was one. On Saturday morning, I now counted about a dozen tents along the riverside by Chapter Meadows. Now, I'm all for personal freedom. However, there is a fine line between this and anarchy. Perhaps I'm wrong, and this area is now a designated camping ground? However, where are these, I assume, pitch-free, happy campers going to the toilet or doing their ablutions? Certainly protocol should surely be enforced for the benefit of all. I suppose that any litter is left behind, this will be cleared away at the council tayers' expense once again. And uh, that is that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Sir, I would like drivers to remember that pavements are meant for people to walk on rather than for drivers to park their whole vehicle on. I had to walk on the Bilford Road into oncoming traffic this morning with my guide dog as someone irresponsibly parked their whole car on the path, leaving no room for anybody to pass. Mm. Sir, I have read with interest about the two people robbed of money by con artists claiming to be from the bank. 
But what I cannot understand is why the banks in question did not take the elderly people to a room and question them as to why they wanted the money. Some banks have done this and put a stop to it. It's a pity that banks that don't are not named and shamed. Sir, now that the NHS has turned 70, it is an important time not only to celebrate all of the great achievements that have occurred over the past decades, but to look forward to how we can improve it for the future. Society has changed significantly since times of austerity in 1948, yet the NHS still remains an important and consistent part of the lives of many people in the West Midlands. Despite its continuation, the NHS is not infallible, and though it has survived the last 70 years in its current state, the NHS needs greater attention and investment if it is to survive another 70. The recent announcement of funding by the government is a welcome step but is short of the 4% uplift the BMA and many health policy experts have suggested is the minimum needed to sustain the health service. As important as investment in services is, it is the hard-working staff and the public who are the lifeblood of the NHS and should be celebrated. From the birth of a baby to palliative care at the end of life, the NHS is there for us when we need it most. The government must ensure it is there for the NHS and give it the necessary support and investment it needs not only to survive but to thrive for decades to come. Dr Stephen Miller, BMA West Midlands Regional Champion. Chairman. Right, now an article from today's Worcester News on this day. And these are events and anniversaries for this date, July the 12th, from years gone by. A bit of historical interest. Well, today was Orangeman's Day in Northern Ireland. On July the 12th, 100 BC, the Roman Emperor Julius Caesar was born, not by Caesarean section as is often claimed, though his name does come from the Latin to cut. In 1543, Henry VIII married Catherine Parr, his sixth and last wife, and she outlived him, not without a bit of ducking and weaving, I think, and married again after his death. In 1730, on July the 12th, Josiah Wedgwood, English pottery designer and manufacturer, was born in Burslem, Staffordshire. July the 12th, 1854, George Eastman, US photographic pioneer who founded Kodak, was born in New York State. He chose the name Kodak because it was easy to remember. And a British connection, the Eastman family later gave birth to Linda Eastman, a clever photographer, who was to marry Paul McCartney, but sadly died some years later. 
1895, July the 12th, Oscar Hammerstein, lyricist who, with Richard Rogers, wrote Oklahoma, South Pacific, The Sound of Music, and The King and I was born. And Carousel. Thank you. <laughs> 1910, July the 12th, Charles Rolls pioneering pilot and co-founder of Rolls-Royce, was killed when he crashed his biplane in a flying competition, the first British aviation victim. July the 12th, 1920, US President Woodrow Wilson officially opened the Panama Canal. 1930, Australia's Don Bradman set a new test record on July the 12th with an innings of 3-3-4 against England at Leeds. On July the 12th, 1969, Tony Jacklin became the first British golfer since 1951 to win the British Open. And now for the death and funeral announcements, and I'm asking Paddy to start. The first one is of Ruth Durand, who died peacefully on the 11th of June, aged 99 years. And he doesn't give a date for the uh, memorial service. Hughes, near Evans, near Evans, Dorothy Mary Dot of Bath Road passed away peacefully on June the 25th at Seven Heights Care Home. <clears throat> Her funeral will be held at Worcester Crematorium on July the 17th at 10am. And then Gillian Margaret Passy, known as Chill, she passed away peacefully on June the 11th, aged 71 years. And uh, her funeral has already taken place. Julie Pugh, nay Burroughs, sadly passed away on June the 26th, 2018, aged 60 years. Her life will be celebrated at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday, July the 21st at 1pm. It's a Saturday, the 21st. Sorry, July the 24th, Tuesday the July the 24th. Edward Leslie Rawl, who was called Les, sadly passed away on June the 25th, 2018, aged 80. His funeral has already been held. <clears throat> Patricia Ann Adams passed away peacefully on June the 27th. The funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday, July the 19th at 11.30. Frederick Charles Hart passed away peacefully on July the 1st, 2018. A service to celebrate Fred's life will be held at the Church of St. Mary, Kemsey, on Friday, July the 20th at 2pm. Paul Kenneth Milner passed away peacefully at Worcester Royal Hospital on June the 17th, 2018. The funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium 
on Friday, July the 20th at 11.30am. Elsie May Wigley passed away peacefully of in the Worcester City inpatient, inpatient unit. The funeral service to take place at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday, July the 19th at 12.15pm. Eileen Peggy Avery, formerly of Kays, passed away on June the 27th this year, aged 81. The funeral service will be held at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday, July the 19th at 1.45pm. And finally, Patricia Doris Willis passed away peacefully on June the 22nd this year, aged 83, and her funeral has already taken place. And the last two entries... Geoffrey John Ingram sadly passed away at Worcester Royal Hospital on June the 19th, 2018, aged 87. A funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday, July the 17th at 10.45am. And lastly, Ellen Mary Emily Sneed passed away peacefully on June the 13th, 2018, aged 19 years. And the funeral has already taken place. And now we have one birthday to celebrate in the coming week. So the birthday on the 12th, on this, I beg your pardon, on the 17th of July is Mrs. Sandra Cruz and the whole team wishes you a lovely birthday. Happy yeah, birthday. birthday. 21 again. <laughs> I'm sure. Right, Barney, will you then please read us the thought for the week? This week's thought for the day comes from Isaiah 12 verses 1 to 3. In that day, you will say, I will praise you, Lord. Although you are angry with me, your anger has turned away and you have comforted me. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord himself, is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And now... We're coming to the close of our recording for the week, but some useful telephone numbers. First of all, for out-of-hours medical help, 6 to 8 p.m., 0300-1233211. The NHS number for non-emergencies, 111. Malvern Theatre... 01684 892277 Worcester Live, that's the Swan Theatre and Huntingdon Hall, Worcester 611429. The Worcester Hub for Council Matters, either Worcester 765765 or Worcester 7 treble 2 double 3 crime stoppers 0800 
It strikes me that perhaps the people at the beginning of our recording who were reported to have been the victims of fraud might have used the Crime Stoppers number with um, some help. And lastly, Samaritans, 116123. It's a free phone number. One last article, simply because it's summer, everybody seems to be going on holiday, and the news is that we have more trains planned. A lot of us have waited for that for all sorts of reasons. Two trains an hour will be running between Birmingham and Worcester as part of a new Midlands-wide railway strategy. The half-hourly services between Birmingham New Street and Hereford, which stop at Worcester Foregate Street and Droitwich, will also have their journey time reduced to one hour. The announcement made by Midlands Connect as part of its Our Routes to Growth report and Transport Secretary Chris Grayling will include a 20-year strategy to create a Midlands Railway Hub. The aim of the Midlands Railway Hub is to better connect cities across the Midlands by shortening journey times, adding more services and creating new routes. Midlands Connect sees Worcestershire as a key passage for trains to Wales and the South West, helped by the new Worcestershire Parkway station, which is due to open in 2019. The new station will also better connect the county to high-speed railway HS2 in Birmingham, as well as more frequent direct services to Oxford and London. The doubling of services between Hereford and Birmingham is part of a wider expansion across the Midlands, affecting services as far as Lincoln and Nottingham to the east and Worcester and Hereford to the south. The extra, quicker service will no doubt be welcomed by commuters travelling to and from Worcestershire, Worcester, especially with rush hour trains from Hereford often pulling into Foregate Street already full. Oh yes, I've often experienced that one. Councillor Ken Pollock, Cabinet Member for Economy and Infrastructure, said, We welcome the announcement from Midlands Connect. Our Worcestershire Rail investment strategy is a key focus for us and faster, more frequent trains to and from Birmingham will help to boost the county's economy, supporting our aim to be open for business. With the new Worcestershire Parkway station and improved Kidderminster station opening next year, it's an exciting time for train travel in the county and the wider region. So it sounds as if it's coming just in time. Well, now we've reached the end of this recorded edition. My thanks go to Paddy, to Pam, to Barney, and obviously to our engineer, John. We hope you've enjoyed listening to the choices that we've made and that you'll listen in to next week's edition. Our best wishes to you all. 
So it's goodbye from me, Evelyn, Betty, Pam, and from me, Barney. Goodbye and take care.